Turn with me now to Psalm 65, please. The 65th Psalm. And keep your Bibles open. We'll be reading some verses in a moment. And give me your attention, please. We don't have here, or we never had here in the 35 years, a harvest thanksgiving service. Not that there's anything fundamentally wrong with a harvest thanksgiving service. I often preach at them. But I question the value of such. For the great danger I see in Harvest Thanksgiving services is that the Thanksgiving is lavished and the celebration is lavished upon Cain and Abel is left out. He becomes the Cinderella of the Harvest Thanksgiving services. Because Genesis chapter 4, that it all began. Cain with, came with the flowers and the fruit and the foliage of the work of his hands. He laid them at the altar on the sanctuary and worshipped God and gave thanks. But it says, but God was not pleased, nor respect given to the offering. But to Abel, who brought the sacrifice of blood of the animal, the firstling of the flock, he said it was a most excellent sacrifice. In many places, not all places where Harvest Thanksgiving services are, the blood, the cross, the gospel is left out. And you have an anemic social gathering with corn loaves and buns and apple pies and gossip. No blood, no cross. Not all places now, but some, many, many indeed. It's just a social evening and that's why I can't handle it. We're going to have a Harvest Thanksgiving service this morning, not because it's the time of year or it's tradition or because we've done, they've done, it, we've done it all our years and other churches do it. No, because I believe that this is a word from God to you this morning. And I want you to look at verse 9 of Psalm 65. And in verse 9, you'll have the hill, and you'll have the river, and you'll have the valley. And in these verses, you'll have the word thou, thou God, nine times. In fact, it's 12 times used in the chapter. You'll have the word thou, all the contribu contribut contributaries are going to God, 
None of your global warming here. None of your rainforests here. None of the nonsense of carbon, hydrogen, or anything else. It's all over to God. Verse 9. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enriched it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy mercy drop fatness or abundance upon us. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. And they shout for joy. And they also sing. May God bless this word to our heart. Now what we're going to do this morning is very simply set this psalm in its full context. Why does David end up in the last five verses in adulation, in jubilation, and shouting for joy. We're going to see why. You see, not only have we a harvest thanksgiving text, a great harvest thanksgiving text here, we have a great harvest thanksgiving hymn. If you cast your eyes on verse 1, praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. It begins with praise, with songs of praise in Zion, in the church, in the house of God. Now, the picture is here that a large congregation of people were waiting in silence to burst out in praise. James Nelson Darby says the word there in silence is, if you have a marginal reference, is the word dumb. They were all gathered together quietly, waiting to burst out in praise. Now, they weren't silent because they didn't know what to say, but they were silent because God was ministering into their heart and into their soul as this congregation gathered, as you'll see in a moment, and they were hushed. They sat in reverence and silence. Fear descended upon the congregation as they began to well up in the heart the goodness and the blessings of God to them. Now, I'm sorry here now that I have to bring a word of rebuke to this assembly. Prior to the meetings here 
especially in Lord's Day mornings, there's not much silence. There's not much waiting on God. The talk and the chatter and the prattle of secular conversation in the house of God before the service does nothing to enhance the blessing of God. Even when the young people begin to sing, it still goes on. Years ago, in the mall, in that old Baptist church in the mall, I was a deacon there and I was about the door and I could see and hear a lot of things. And there was a man came in one Sunday morning, he sat down beside a farmer from South Armagh. And the man, the farmer had his head down in his hands and he was just waiting and worshipping God. And the boy said to him, How did the, what did you get for the cattle and sheep in Market Hill on Tuesday? And the boy said, I didn't come here to talk about Market Hill or cattle or sheep. Now, neither are we coming to a harvest Thanksgiving service to look at and admire the onions and the cauliflower and the turnips that Farmer Brown grew or the cucumbers and melons that Mrs. Brown brought in. We come to worship and keep our eyes on the Lord. So there was a sitting here in silence and praise in their hearts, which is going to burst out, as you've seen in the verses. But I want you to look at verse 1 again. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. There's not only the praise, there's a performance. That word vow is there was an oath or a promise made. What did the vow what was this vow unto God, Jehovah Yahweh, that the people vowed and waited for it to fulfill? Now, it appears that nobody knows when this psalm was written away, of any certain dates in the calendars of Scripture, but it appears that before this there was a couple of years of drought and famine and barrenness. And that's obvious with the volume of praise that went out in verse 9. These people had vowed a vow unto God, and as the Scripture says, they deferred not to pay it. Let me say this this morning. This is what the Word says. Better is it that thou shouldst not vow a vow and vow and not pay it. Because if you do, you're a fool. You see, it's very easy to make vows and promises to God and commitments to God in a meeting, in the singing of hymns, in some emotional phrase, but keeping, keeping them is a different thing altogether. 
My, even the marriage vows now are broken before night. There's a standing firm in the teeth of the gale in a promise or a vow that you make to God no matter what comes. As Job says, in the days of adversity, days when there's a famine in the land, days when there's a drought in the church, days when you're attacked on health and family, days when you dig in the soldier's shoes and when you don't know all that you can do, you stand. You don't turn back. The many other vows have been made by God's people and they have broken them. Maybe in this gathering this morning there were those of you who vowed, I'm going to go back to the table, but you never came back to the table. Maybe you vowed that you would be baptized or you'd tithe or you'd go to the prayer meeting. You made promises and vows, but you don't keep them. The Bible says you're a fool. But not only did they wait for the performance in praise, but look at verse 2. Holding on to their vow and waiting on God. I don't know, maybe many of them scattered, I don't know, but there's a remnant. They prayed. O thou that hearest prayer. He heard their prayer. Do you know a lovely thought came to me the other day in Acts chapter 9 where Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and heaven said, the first thing heaven said about him, behold, that word behold, heaven's all excited. Behold, he prayeth. Didn't say, behold, he's saved. Behold, he's delivered. Behold, he's blind. Behold, he prayeth. God sees you when you pray, you know. And God loves it when you pray. These people prayed for the performance of their vows that they made to God. And sadly, many of God's people haven't had their vows and promises fulfilled because they stopped praying somewhere along the line. Nothing draws pray, nothing will draw praise out of a man or a woman or out of a fellowship. Nothing will draw praise like answers to prayer. God answers their prayer here. Took time, maybe. But the longer we wait, the greater the blessing will be. And when our prayers maybe are long forgotten, God hasn't forgotten them. Remember Zacharias and Elizabeth. It says about that godly couple that they were in the dark days of Herod the king. They were both righteous before God, walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, and they were blameless, oh, I tell you. And they prayed desperately that God would give them a son. 
But it didn't seem to happen at the time, and probably 30 years had passed, and one day suddenly God came. And while hope deferred, maketh the heart sick, you know, old Zacharias held on, kept on at his work, kept on doing what they were doing. And the angel suddenly appeared one day. I've heard your prayer. I tell you, friend, there's not a prayer that has gone up or a sob from this assembly from the day we came here, or from your heart, that God hasn't heard it and will answer it in his way, in his time. It says, all flesh, that's what it says in verse 2, all flesh can come unto thee. That means you, sinner, you can call unto him this morning. That means you backslider. That means the young. It means the old. It means the rich and the poor. All flesh can come unto the eternal God this morning in grace and mercy and love. Flesh means weakness. And if we come to God in our weakness, we'll be made perfect. Our strength will be made perfect. That vow, that promise was made And then God began to answer in his way. He dropped fatness and abundance amongst them. Do you know, friend, God can do, we don't believe this text, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. Sammy Workman used to say we can ask an awful lot, but we can think a thousand times more according to the power that worketh in us. What about the Spirit working in you? Is He working in you this morning? Has He been working in you through the week? Have you quenched Him, grieved Him, hindered Him, vexed Him, and He's not talking? They waited in praise and in prayer for the performance of the vows that they made. And maybe I don't know how long they waited and how long they were in and out of the temple and Zion and the house of God and that's where they were and that's a good place to be. But let me say this now and here's the crunch of my message this morning that God has laid in my heart. Before the victory came, before the revival come, for this is revival, before the blessing came and the heavens dropped in abundance upon the hill and the river and the valley, something happened. Something happened. King David, who led this congregation and wrote this psalm, and the priests and the Levites come under fierce Attack. Now I want you to get this this morning. They come under fierce attack. Look at verse 3. Look at what David says. And he's saying it about himself. Iniquities prevail against me And as for our transgressions, 
Thou shalt purge them away. Now that word prevail, here's what that word prevail means. A powerful, strong enemy is warring against me. I want to say to you this morning, what's happening here is that the devil is parting his final shot to stop the blessing. And he's hitting at the top. Job says, the enemy runneth towards me like a giant. In the midst of the congregation, in the midst of the praise in their hearts, in the midst of waiting on God and believing in God, and just like that, the devil comes. Do you know anything about that? I believe that this was Satan's final shot. I'm going to preach sometimes on Satan's final shots. And we'll end up with death. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Lord will put all enemies under his feet and the last to be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. That's where the old saints of God were ready to go and wanted to go and wanted to get home. But they used to fear the fact of the devil getting them when they were on their deathbed and the devil's dirty on the deathbed. An enemy. The last enemy. Spurgeon says we need to leave him to last, but he's the last enemy. Remember the father and the son who was foaming at his mouth and screaming and throwing himself into the fire in the Gospels. Brought him to the disciples and the disciples couldn't do anything with him. And Jesus says, they brought him to Jesus, oh faithless generation. And it says this, as he was yet coming to Jesus, the devil threw him down. The closer he got to the Lord, the closer he got to healing, the closer he got to victory, the closer the Father got to answered prayer, the devil threw the last shot. Someone brilliantly said in that story in the gospel, that the Lord didn't blame the father for the son's condition. And he didn't blame the fact that he is, his mother wasn't there. Maybe he had lost his mother. He didn't blame the, the, the times that they were living in. Now they blame everything. Whatever's wrong sometimes in so many children and families today, they blame the father, they blame the background, they blame the upbringing, they blame this and that. But Jesus didn't do that. You know who he blamed? The disciples. The church. And your boy and your girl this morning, my friend, depends on your prayers and your godly living. Don't be going around blaming backgrounds or friends or anybody else. Blame yourself. Blame the church. 
He threw it to the disciples. This kind only comes forth by prayer and fasting. What about trying prayer and fasting for the child? Remember the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the Galilee and the disciples in the boat and they were crossing and they were all in the boat and they're heading over to Gadara to set the man free. That man, the 2000s, there was more demons in him than 2000 swine couldn't hold. Cutting himself night and day, naked, roaring, shouting. They couldn't tame him, chain him. They had to send him away out there. They'd bring him away out of the mountains. That's what they do with sin when they can't handle it. And they're going across to, to, to Gadara and a mighty storm blew. Don't you tell me that the devil can't throw a storm. If God allows him, he can do whatever he wants. You heard, what about Job? Wasn't the storm that tossed the house? Wasn't the storm that killed this and that one and the other? You read, read through the scriptures. Get the scriptures right. Here the devil has them all, all the eggs in the one basket, and he comes to destroy them. And that's what they're trying to do in Israel this morning. They gathered all the Palestinians and all the, all the Arabs and all the nations. I couldn't name them all this morning. And they're knocking down that road. They have them all in the one basket now. They're moving in for the kill. This is the kill, but it's not the kill. And they'll know it. They'll know it. The devil's last throw. He doesn't like to see men in chains being broken and fetters being broken and men and women set free. He doesn't like the drug addicts and the demon-possessed men and women set free. He'll do everything in hellish power to stop it. And you better believe it. Remember Paul and Silas when they came into Europe only Paul and Silas came and obeyed God and came down into Philippi. The gospel first came to Europe. We wouldn't be saved this morning. Is it any wonder when they landed their foot there in Macedonia and Philippi that the demon-possessed girl followed them about, cursing and binding and doing everything. All the demons of hell came out to stop them and they put them into, put them into prison and took their clothes off and beat them and ba ba barred them into the prison. And then God began to move. Sometimes it comes before the blessing. And so if you're in trial this morning, if you're in trouble this morning, if you're being attacked this morning, and you're in the house of God, and you're praising, and you're singing in your heart, and, and everything's well, but if you're under attack this morning, remember this. There's an enemy. And he's a dangerous foe. Sometimes it comes before. You could be just on the verge of blessing this morning. And sometimes it comes after. Peter in Acts 2 and 3, mighty revival. A lame man healed and thousands of souls been saved. And 
Then in Acts 4, they're apprehended and beaten and put into prison. Now listen, as I close this morning, there are two things, and I not get even near these verses that we read. There are two things that fiercely attack the servant of God. And I want you to see them in the verse. Iniquity prevail against me, and as for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Iniquities and transgressions. They're all in the sin family, but they're different. I'm, I want to paint you a picture now of what the devil's hitting this man with and what he's hit you, hit you with. In Isaiah 53, it says he was bruised for our iniquities. That is, he was crushed and pounded to powder into pulp and destroyed. Our sins and iniquities on him were laid. But then it says this in Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. They're the same thing, they're sin and the sin family, but they're different. Iniquities are sin against sins against God. And transgressions are sins and trespass, as it is, sins against man. Will I tell you this, my friend? The nearer they get to the blessing, the nearer they get to the victory, the nearer they get to the revival until this abundance of rain and showers fall upon the land, the dirtier the devil will be and the attack is the worst. And let me tell you, the enemy is not sparing him. And I don't know whether I am right or not, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. I wonder, did the attack come to David? And I don't even know if it was before this or after. I don't know. But I'm just saying this. I wonder, did the attack come to David in the house of God because of Bathsheba? Because with the episode of Bathsheba, there was iniquities and transgressions, both. Now hold on this morning. He sinned against God, and he says that in Psalm 51. The sin was against God, but he didn't sin against Bathsheba, he sinned with her. And I'm wondering, is it the devil coming into this man's mind as he comes to my mind and he comes to your mind at times and he throws filthy things from the past? Do you know anything about it? Don't sit there as if you don't. Well, you know. He'll hammer you on the past. In Psalm 51, David said, wash me from my iniquities. And then he says this, for I acknowledge my transgressions before thee. The devil has him on the ropes. He's hammering at him with everything he can throw at him because he knows. He doesn't know all things, but he knows some things and more than you would imagine. 
And let me tell you, this is going on in the house of God. But oh, let me say this morning, whether it's sin, whether it's iniquities, whether it's transgressions, look at what verse 3 says. Iniquities prevail, come at me like a giant. Transgressions, thou, thou shalt purge them or have purged them away. Hallelujah. You see, there's an offering offered for both. There's the sin offering and there's the trespass offering. And they're purged away. They're gone. That takes us to the scapegoat. Well, once a year, the high priest laid his hand upon the goat, the scapegoat it was called. And he transferred all the sins of the nation of that year onto the scapegoat. And the fit man took him and took him away into the back of the wilderness and let him go so that he would never return, but they had to do it again the next year and the year after. But this man, this man that I want to close with this morning offered one sacrifice for sin forever and sat down. He purged their sins away. That word purged is covered, hidden, blotted out, and he has blotted out our transgressions like a thick cloud. Praise God this morning for cleansing. Praise God this morning for purging. My, I tell you, he got the victory. He took the devil to the cross. You need to take him to the cross. When he comes with our dirty thoughts and things at night or during the day or accusations of the past, you need to take him to the cross. He can't handle the blood. He can handle you, but he can't handle the blood. They overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. As if a man, a man on his knees there praying, if some years ago he's dead now, he prayed, Lord, there's plenty wrong with their testimony, but there's nothing wrong with the blood. Take him to the blood man. You young converts that are battling along the road and trying to make sense of everything as you look around you, listen, keep to the cross. Look away to Jesus. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgotten. Our sins are cast into the sea of his forgetfulness. Our sins are in a bag and they're sewn up, that says in the word of God, and cast into the sea. Our tears are in a bottle and our names are in the book. There's going to be a mighty burst out here. There's going to be a mighty burst out here sometime, you know. I mean, just hold on. Everybody that leaves this assembly, I told them, you're welcome to go whenever you want or where you want. But remember this. You're going to miss the blessing. Verse 4, as we close, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. We can't go into this predestination. We can't go into this choosing this morning, but we know where the, where the psalmist is. He's so full. He's so thankful to God as his sins are purged and washed away. 
and Bathsheba and all that went on and Uriah the Hittite and the pastors all under the blood. Cleansing and purging and for choosing him and, and, and it says for causing him to approach. But the word I want to close with here in verse 4 is the word satisfied. That he may dwell in thy courts we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. Are you satisfied in this house, are you? God's house? Are satisfied with the goodness of thy house and thy holy temple. That word satisfied is saturated. It's full and flowing over. It's the same word used in Psalm 23, my cup runneth over, saturated, soaked. Are you satisfied this morning? Are you satisfied this morning that you're not still in your sin and that you're on your way to heaven? Psalm 107 says, He satisfieth the longing soul. Ah, there's some of you longing here for deliverance this morning. There's some of you longing living here for emancipation from your sin. And you know very well, way down deep in your heart, that there's more to life than what you're doing, boy. You're not satisfied this morning. We're to follow you last week. You'd have seen whether you were satisfied or not. But he satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 103 says he satisfies the hungry soul. He filleth the mouth with good things. Hallelujah! Isaiah 58 says he satisfies the thirsty soul. Are you thirsty? This? I'm thirsty this morning. Not physically thirsty. I'm spiritually thirsty. I have a thirst in my heart and in my soul. And I praise God every day that it will never be quenched. He satisfieth the longing soul. He satisfieth the hungry soul. He satisfieth the thirsty soul. He satisfieth the waiting soul. He satisfieth the weeping soul. I can give you scriptures from them if you want. He satisfieth the weeping soul. But here, here, listen, in Psalm 17, he satisfieth the waking soul. What does Psalm 17 say? As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, to be satisfied down here, I'm satisfied this morning. I don't want any money, I don't want any more houses, I don't want cars, I don't want, I'm satisfied with my Savior this morning. I'm satisfied with my health. I'm satisfied with my strength. I'm satisfied with my family. I'm satisfied with my deacons. I'm satisfied with the elders. I'm satisfied with the church. I'm fully flowing over this morning with satisfaction to God. You? 
I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. I, Trevor has seen the sight that we haven't seen. We're going to see him some of these days. Glory to God. Praise his name. All our sins purged, hidden, covered. All our transgressions, all our iniquities gone. And then suddenly it burst out. The hill, the river, and the valley. What a harvest Thanksgiving message.